I guess you have to think if if you could try and pause for a second and think, you know, is it worth it and how big it, you know, like, is it really that big a deal for me to put the toilet seat down or, or you know? This is, we're talking about the rest of your life, yeah, Rita. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I, I guess thinking of, about whether it is, you know, that how important is it to you? How big a deal is it? And if it is, then I think it's important to bring it up. But if it's a lot of the time, if you pause and think, you know, it's not really a big deal. And you are listening to Amina Amso Network Podcast. Kia ora and welcome to this week's episode. I am Amina Amso, your host, and I am so glad that you are here. Hope you're having a lovely day, evening, morning, middle of the night, not too sure, but uh, good to have you with us. So I am speaking to my good friend and Iraqi immigrant, Dr. Rita Katula. And <laughs> Rita is a friend of mine and she's here with me to talk about her journey of making it to New Zealand from Iraq. And she was quite young, about seven and a half. Uh, she came from her uh, came with her family from Malta, uh, and um, got a very interesting story. So, without further ado, Rita Kiora. Kiora Mina, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for showing up. Thanks, um, yeah, making time. It's good to see you. Um, so, you've come to New Zealand when you were pretty young, so you probably don't remember a lot of what went down. No, but. but um, what was your first impression, if you remember? Um, I don't remember too much. And so we came, we left Iraq after the Gulf War and my parents managed to get um, visas to go to Malta, which is a tiny island underneath Italy. Ooh. So I was three when we left Iraq and then we left Malta at about when I was seven and a half. Um, and came under, at that time, New Zealand was taking a lot of professional families to fill the gap, although it turned out later to be quite hard to find jobs in their professions, but we got here nonetheless. And um, one thing I do remember is I remember feeling that the kids in New Zealand weren't as nice. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to adjust in that regard, and I needed to learn yet another new language and mm. um yeah but overall i guess as a kid it's easier to in many ways to adapt did you adjust well as you grew older um yeah i think pretty well i think obviously there's a lot of there can be a lot of difficulties particularly in as you get older in the teenage years and as you're exploring your own identity and culture and mm. figuring out who you are and where you're from and mm. a lot of the time there was this tension that I didn't feel like I was fully Kiwi but I also wasn't fully Iraqi so uh, okay. there was quite a strong tension there but learning to <coughs> I feel through that I learned to embrace both cultures and merge them well. What, how, how did you end up figuring out that, you know, coming to that identity um, foundation that you are Iraqi and you are Kiwi, perhaps 
more about the Iraqiness. When 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 did your Iraqiness start to bl flourish and blossom, and it looked wow. beautiful? <laughs> Good question. I think mostly when I got to uni, because um, I went to a high school where I was the only Iraqi and it was mostly Kiwis and some Asians, which is quite vague, but I was the only Iraqi. And I did have a few friends from church that were Iraqi, but not many. And so it was only really when I got to end of high school, I started joining an Iraqi youth group and then at uni, I met a lot of um, Iraqis my age and I really clicked with them and got along with them and I guess over time I felt like we could share kind of a, quite a special and new bond because they had also grown up here. So I think we had a lot of similarities and yeah. could, you know, whether it was understood the culture, the how things work, the food. Mm. Um, and so I started to appreciate and um, the uniqueness and beauty that our culture can bring and the warmth. Mm. And so now I really feel when people ask, I tell them I'm Kiraki, part Kiwi, part yeah. Iraqi. Yep, that's a great term to use, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you're Kiwi Iraqi and you're seven and a half years old. So that's so young. Uh, you've got two brothers. It sounds yeah. like you're... Like the the sense of Iraqiness started with friendships. Friendships helped you know and strengthen the identity of who you are as an Iraqi woman. Um, do do you find food uh, any connection to this culture? <laughs> yeah, I think food is a big part of most cultures. Um, and definitely in Iraqi culture too. And food brings people together in all cultures, you know. There's yeah, such definitely, yeah. Um, and I love, love, yeah. love Iraqi food. It's definitely still my favorite. Of course. Uh, what do you love to eat? Um, three things. One, two, three. State them for us. Um, favorite Iraqi foods would have to be dolma. Um, uh, yeah. Which, uh, for those that don't know, uh, a rice and meat mix wrapped in grapevine leaves or onions or a whole lot of vegetables and boiled and biryani. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay, which type of dolma? There's a few different styles. There's the um, <laughs> one with the meat. There's the one with the fasting, we call them, because there's no meat in there, like dolma malizet, which means it has uh, a <laughs> oily dolma. <laughs> yeah, olive oil. Yeah, I mean, do you – have you ever – lamb. Hey, I'm definitely a lamb girl. I love my lamb dolma. You love your lamb dolma. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Uh, have you ever made dolma before? Uh, I've only. I want to learn. I've only made it with my mum. Okay. Um, not on my own, you, but I will learn. You, you are keen to embark on this rather journey of growth. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, do, yeah. You do feel like you're like a woman when you know how to cook food. <laughs> Especially no, Iraqi food. <laughs> do, do you feel like a sense of pride? Like, I am a woman. I am becoming old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a really beautiful way of holding on to yeah. keep, you know, holding on to things from our own culture and yeah. the things that, you, that are quite practical and tangible that you can keep and pass on to 
others around you and future generations. Plus, it's so yummy. I mean, who doesn't want to have it? Like, it's uh, like, honestly, in every occasion, every gathering, if I see a table full of food, the dolma is always the one that's eaten up so quickly. Like, if you literally blink, it, like you've missed it the plate is gone it's got like <laughs> everyone is out of the way <laughs> yeah like and i mean if you look at other like types of food like i don't know pizza or like even biryani biryani doesn't come close have you noticed there's always a race to the end to the bottom of the plate uh, bottom of this huge i mean it's always a huge dish like we don't always yeah. we, we don't we don't go small iraqis no. don't go small eh? like we always go large Go big or go home, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, so you love biryani as well. Do you like the chicken or the lamb, or do you like both? Um, probably chicken. I, I guess it's just the kind of biryani I grew up with. Okay, and what was the third part? Um, tabula. Ah, uh, tabula. Why do you like tabula? <laughs> I love it. I love um tangy flavors. Yeah. The, it's just a beautiful, fresh yeah. summer salad and it's got a lemon dressing and I love tangy flavours. And mm. it is quite um, – I don't really – personally, the homemade tapula is much nicer than the ones you buy at shops because, mm. yeah, I the think ones, they're quite different. The ones that you buy in the shops, um, I can almost say it's like an imposter, like someone oh, yeah. trying to steal your identity. It's not even tapula. Do not buy it from the shops. <laughs> I think they unfortunately swap out for a lot of couscous and less vegetables. Yeah, I, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, traditionally, actually, mostly vegetables and yeah. So with tabula, if someone is wondering, so it's a lot of um, um, well, it's onion and tomatoes um, and parsley. Uh, yeah, plenty of parsley. Like back in the day when we were in Iraq. You would see the bags and the bags and the bags of green things sitting in the kitchen. <laughs> we were like, okay, we're having tabula today because you have to chop so much and you have to, uh, I don't know, just, yeah, you have to have heaps because you, you have to make a tashat, meaning a big, massive bowl. Like yeah. the bowls that you, the size of a bowl, literally around the size of um, a basket that you put a newborn baby in to, to watch them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you have to have such massive um, quantities to be able to, uh, yeah, anyway, enough about tabula. And you obviously, like Rita was saying, it's tangy because uh, we add, you know, lemon juice and um, a bit of salt and, of course, olive oil. So, um, yeah, if you want to try it at home. Tell me how it is. Yeah. Uh, moving, moving from tabula, though, uh, this that you know you've you've got some things that you've learned as an Iraqi immigrant when you first moved to New Zealand. Um, yeah. Could you name perhaps like three things that you think? Oh my gosh! Definitely looking back, that's what I've learned. Um, I guess the obvious one is English because when I came here, I didn't know in Malta they speak they have their own language Maltese, so I learned that when we moved there. So I didn't really know. Um, I knew very little English. Do you still learned... speak Maltese? Sorry? Do you still speak Maltese? No, because I think when I came here, I had to quickly learn English and there wasn't really anyone to speak Maltese with. 
I guess, outside of my family. So there was a big focus shift. And so I think you, you know, that saying what you don't, you lose what you don't use. Yeah. Can you, can mm. you remember a word or two in Maltese? Like saying hi or how are you? Or? Oh, I've completely forgotten. But interestingly enough, yeah, um, a lot of it has got, has got strong Arabic roots. Yeah. So it's got a lot of Arabic resemblance and a bit of Italian. Um, so definitely made it easier for my parents to learn Maltese. Okay. Right. And I think they say, I think they actually say something like Kifak. Kifak, yeah. That's which is very similar to Arabic. Yeah, like Lebanese. <clears throat> yeah. Kifak, meaning hello. Oh, no, it means how are you in, like, how are you? Yeah. in the Lebanese accent. So yeah. any Lebanese people watching, Kifak, Kifak, <laughs> Um, okay, so you, you learned English uh, when, you, yeah. when you came here? And then the other thing I remember having to learn when I came to primary was um, netball. I had never seen or heard of such a sport. <laughs> <laughs> and I obviously remember I had right here not long, so maybe I was eight. Yeah. And I wasn't really listening. We were outside and about to play a game of netball and I obviously didn't really listen and just wanted to play and I was a kid yeah and so all I remember is I grabbed the ball and ran with the ball <laughs> to, to the goal <laughs> and just had no care in the world I was so excited that I had gotten hold of the ball ran to the court end of the court shot the ball missed and then turned around and realized everyone had stopped and was calling out Rita 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 you're not allowed to run with the ball <laughs> and oh my goodness I'm laughing because it was the same for me <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first netball lesson I had was yeah. we can't run with the ball yeah and I thought I was running so fast and no one was catching me but little <laughs> did I know everyone had stopped and <laughs> Was waiting. Do you play well now? Are you are you a good netball player? No, no, <laughs> I'm not. I don't think. Um, sports isn't my natural forte. Yeah, and I haven't played in a long time. But I would maybe one day I'll join some social netball. Yeah. Okay. The only thing is sometimes it's not that social. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, netball is not social. No, sometimes they can be quite competitive. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And you're like, oh, I just want to get out of your way. <laughs> I don't want to get hit. Yeah. Okay, so what's yeah. the, the third thing that you learned? Um, um, I think culturally, maybe as I got older, I learned that Kiwis definitely tend as a stereotype. They tend to be on time and wake up early, which is quite different to the stereotypical Iraqi culture where we <laughs> – and generally night owls enough yeah. to stay up late and have, you know, parties or just even chatting and lots of snacks and sleeping in the morning or have naps during the day. Um, and I guess now with work and having to wake up early, yeah. I probably go to bed earlier than I used to, but yeah. naturally I'm definitely more of a night owl and, you know, if they say come at two, I might come at three. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, are you? Are you? Have you learned to be on time a little bit more now that now that you're Kiwi Rocky? <laughs> I think if you ask my friends, they tell you at uni I was terrible and I was notorious for always being quite late. Yeah, and now I'm definitely better. I'm still always cutting it quite fine or a little bit late. Yeah, but I'm definitely better. 
Well, it's um, it's quite an interesting thing to hear all these things that you've learned as it's so unique to you, you know, learning all these stuff about your, you know, being on time um, or rising early, uh, learning how to play netball because it's so different from soccer, which, um, yeah. you know, I'm sure you've thought about rugby as well, like why people are hitting each other and fighting <laughs> each other and well, why, why, why have, someone hit you, like, why are they doing this to themselves? Well, you know, rugby is such a brutal game and, um, yeah. you know, something that we've not heard before. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite odd. And I think being in New Zealand um, with the, like, English um, <laughs> lost in translation, I'm sure you had such funny moments that uh, as a fob, F-O-B, like fresh off the boat, uh, stories that you be like, I will never forget this. Uh, tell us, I mean, do you remember? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely a few from when we first arrived. I think one, when we um pretty new to Auckland, I found a friend kindly brought us a big bag of avocados and we'd never seen or heard of this ever. And so we tried a couple raw and we, I think we probably cracked one that wasn't ripe and then tried it raw and we, we didn't really like the taste. It had no flavor, didn't like the texture. It was very odd. And so <laughs> my parents coming from, you know, like having grown up with very little and gone yeah. through war, they definitely taught us to not waste a thing. So what they did was walk down to our local dairy with this bag of huge avocados and dairy was probably stoked because my parents exchanged it for a simple box of eggs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, really? <laughs> yeah. Are you regretting? But it's to our regret because we all now love avocado. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, give us um, two more stories. Um, I guess another one. It wasn't so much us, but a family friend of ours. When they'd arrived, they were a couple with four, I think, teenage sons. So there were six of them, and their neighbours kindly invited them over for a barbecue. Mm. And their neighbours told them to. Um, bring a plate and I think this might be a common misunderstanding but they literally brought six plates because they thought maybe <laughs> the family didn't have enough um, <laughs> and the poor hosts oh, were probably surprised that there were these six people with no with six empty plates it's like hey it's an empty plate you asked for it <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a thing like it's so funny because in the Iraqi culture there's no such thing as bring a plate you are invited to someone's house and you are ex I suppose you're expected to um to not bring something or if you are bringing something we don't normally say bring a plate people just kind of come in and um <laughs> I suppose it's a terminology I'm just to remember back in Iraq when we used to go to people's houses I mean I was young as well but we used to go to people's houses. Uh, we did make something and take it with us. But I don't know. I think we used to say maybe jib for chi or bring something. Uh, so yeah. maybe that's, you know, that's that's the kind of the, the term. But here it's like jib ma'un. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll bring sit ma'un. I'll bring you six well, I guess maybe um, sometimes in Iraqi culture you come with either a small gift or something and because 
it all evens yeah. out because you'll invite them back and fully host in the same manner. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess things like potlucks aren't as common in Iraqi culture. No. Yeah, it's interesting. There are um, a few myths that that's out there when it comes to adjusting well to a new culture. I think some, some of them that I kind of think of is that it's easy to adjust. Secondly, um, you don't need to know the language to adjust. <laughs> mm. Thirdly, um, you, it takes a short time to adjust. And fourthly, you don't need to do so much research to adjust. These are the four myths that um, that's out there when, mm. you know, trying to step into a new culture. But I think that you have three myth busters uh, that um, that's going to help people who are trying to move from a maybe an, an outside country, maybe to New Zealand, who are thinking about moving to New Zealand to live. So what are these three myth busters? I think you definitely have to learn the language. I think that language is a huge um, icebreaker and a huge your first in into any culture or into holding on to any culture as well. Mm. Um, and, even, and people, you know, people love it even if you're still learning, if you make an effort. Mm. Um, and even if you sound silly, you'll definitely appreciate the effort and you will get better with time. Mm. So I think definitely learning the language yeah. and making friends from that culture. Yeah, definitely. So I yeah. guess really trying to get out of your you don't have to lose your bubble or your culture, but getting pushing yourself out there and um, mm. getting out of your bubble and your circle and meeting some local people. But sometimes that can be quite challenging, but that's definitely the way to go and learning about their language, their music, their food. I think they're very core and practical things that are a big part of any culture. Mm. And I think you can be, you know, while you're meeting them, you can still be quite open and share about your own culture. And most, mm. um, you know, most people are interested in learning and we all have something that we can teach each other and offer each other. Um, so being kind of open and willing. But I think you just have to have a leap of faith and yeah. get out there and meet yeah. people and do your best. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I like it. Um, so um, <laughs> we've pretty much uh, busted all the myths. Um, so, you know, I know that you always went through high school. Which high school did you go to? All right. Which high school did you go to? I went to Baradine College in Auckland. Ah, awesome. Nice. Um, it's it, You've definitely had an interesting and full experience being in high school. I mean, was it easy to be in high school? No, I think high school was quite a hard time for me. I think it's a hard time for lots yeah. of people because you're yeah. Yeah. going through your teenage years and you're trying to figure out who you are and what you are and what you like and don't like and trying to, over time, you figure out what you want to take from your parents and what they've passed on to you and what you don't want to hold on to. And Yeah. I mean, how did, how did you survive being in high school? Um, I guess I don't know a day at a time and some friends and yeah, yeah. Did you swap your dad's awesome lamb sandwiches, which now you now you regret? <laughs> yeah, that's how <laughs> I. My dad used to sometimes make me um these epic 
lamb sandwiches. They're called like chilla fry and put uh, it in a sandwich. And they're so, so good. I yeah. still love them. And I think um, I used to get two and and I now I regret it, but I used to swap it for some yeah. junk food. <laughs> oh, so why did you give it to your friends? Oh, I think um, I used to have two and I think, I don't know how it started, whether she wanted to try it and then I yeah. wanted some of her junk food that I didn't have. Yeah. And then it kind of just became a habit. But now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, I'd way prefer the lamb sandwich. <laughs> Is he st- does he still make you those lamb sandwiches? Um, yeah, he still makes chilli fry, not in a sandwich, but, yeah, the same okay. kind of lamb minced with tomatoes and stuff. And uh, I guess in terms of what helped, um, having friends, I mean, some it was good to have some friends that were also from quite conservative cultures and then where they had, you know, their parents were a bit more protective than others and so they... I guess we had something in common and they were a bit more understanding if I wasn't allowed to go to certain things or, mm. you know, if there were certain rules or what were, different What were you not allowed to go to, if you may share? Um, well, I guess, especially when I was younger, things like socials and I think, what did they call them at the time? Jet Sonics or something like that or... <laughs> wow, Jet Sonics. <laughs> I can't remember that's that's space. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess parties where there was drinking or yeah. um, that kind of stuff was not really okay with my parents and particularly being a girl from an Iraqi culture and the Iraqi culture does tend to be a bit more conservative. So you um, were brought up in a conservative back, you know, environment? Yeah, I think fairly. I mean, my parents did try and be balanced and once I got to uni and I was older and a bit more wiser and could make my own decisions they Mm. you know they let me make my own decisions but while I was you know a young teenager and they definitely set some boundaries yeah and it was a bit different to some of the other kids so that could sometimes yeah um did you feel like it was fair like did you like those boundaries or were you kind of rebellious a bit against them um, I don't think I was so much rebellious, but I probably didn't find it fair because the people around me, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them mm. didn't have those boundaries or rules. Mm. So I probably found it unfair at times when I compared to other kids, yeah, the girls my age. Um, but I definitely, definitely kept me safe. and Yeah. You know, now looking back, you think – that was good. It was good to be in a, you know, if you have your own family, would you run the family or raise them the same way? I suppose, um, bit of a, bit of a futuristic question, but like the way that your family raised you as an Iraqi, cause this is part of the Iraqiness is being conservative. It is a conservative, um, culture, uh, the Iraqi culture. So, um, would you do you tend to lean towards that way of parenting? Um, I guess so. I think it's hard to know without being there. Um, and I think it's always hard to as a parenting is very hard, and I, I don't really know what the right thing to do, but I definitely would set I do feel like I would lean in that way where I'd be quite involved and yeah. and set some good boundaries and hopefully set some good morals to set the kids up for a good, you know, for good teenage years. Yeah. And I definitely would um, 
Yeah, I don't want to be a helicopter parent as such, but I definitely would want to know what they're doing and who they're hanging out with. I I think helicopter parent was the 90s. I think now it's more the drone parent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've upgraded. It's all other level. You're you're smaller, you're quieter, you can sneak in. Sneaky. There's a lot more sneaky, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, resonate with the conservative families because I have spoken to Amina Rissam. And by the way, if you're watching this episode, thank you. I do often forget to remind people to please like this video. So down under here to like this video and also to subscribe. Click the subscribe button. Uh, it's just a yellow one that says click me. Yeah, click it and subscribe. If you're liking this video and you're enjoying it and you think, Gosh, I want more stories about Iraqi people. Um, why not? I'm learning stuff. I'm learning stuff because uh, we're sharing a lot of things right now. And uh, we, you know, Rita is amazing as well. So if you're loving Rita, give us a thumbs up. Uh, I was talking about um, uh, Mina Rassam, who I chatted to. And by the way, you can check the episode. Um, we have part two, like two parts. Uh, so she was talking about yeah, having a conservative. Um, background conservative parents and how they were like oh no no parties no going out you know um you know to a certain extent and not drinking and um it sounds like it's quite common you know i thought i was the only one <laughs> so it's like yeah and you do you do feel like that when you're a teenager but you're not <laughs> yeah i know you had you done a survey at that time you would have realized that Everybody was on the same page. (laughs) So you had, um, so you had exactly um, how how many years did you spend in high school? The typical like seven, um, seven years from yeah, yeah, from yeah. So from year seven to year thirteen, that's right. Yeah. Okay, great. And you, you know, so you kind of swapped your dad's awesome sandwiches just to try to get new friends. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but you, you had you had you you were able to find good friends who um, had culturally sensitive um, background that um, you know culturally conservative background that is sensitive to your own background. Yeah, um, you were also saying that you wished you had more hobbies. Yeah, I definitely think um, I would have enjoyed high school more if I got more involved. Yeah. Um, whether it's sports or stage challenge or something. Mm. I think towards the end I did a few little things like 40-hour famine. and yeah. um, But I do think people that were more involved in extracurricular activities probably had a more mm. fun and wholesome experience in high school. Interesting. And I guess the other thing that helped was yeah. at the end of high school, I joined that Iraqi youth group I told you about. And yeah. I really felt like I met some cool people and friends that I still have today that I really clicked with and kind of built a friendship from then on. Yeah. And um, so, you know, would you, if you would take back time, what would you have done differently? In terms of hobbies, I yeah. guess maybe trying out netball a bit more or getting involved. I mean, we had stage challenge every year. Not that I'm that talented, but you can you can just do. There's a whole range of roles, and everyone everyone can do something. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah. Yeah, something something along those lines I think would have been Yeah. Would have added to my experience. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, obviously you've moved on from high school and then now you're back into um well, you know, back into you moved from high school into university. Um yeah. and you had a journey of how you got to be where you are now. So you're a doctor. And, yeah. and you're a junior doctor, and but you had a, a bit of a, a, you know, a bit of a journey to get there. So, you know, tell us briefly, like how, like how did you make decisions? You know, being an Iraqi, being woman, being a new culture. How did you navigate such a big decision to get to where you are now? Um, well, I think when I was finishing high school. I who what I don't know what seventeen year old knows what they want to do for the rest of their life. It's quite a big. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's quite a big decision, and um, and particularly in Iraqi culture, the things that are quite common and quite um, pleasing and looked up to are the more vocational professions and so in summary I guess at the time I really liked science and I was good at it and I really liked working with people and my brother was a pharmacist and so I thought I just follow in that kind of decided to follow that path and mm. so I did pharmacy and actually I did enjoy it and I worked um as a and then when I did a placement in a, in a as a pharmacist in a hospital and I liked that so then I worked um, as a hospital pharmacist and I did that for a few years and I know that I worked quite closely with a lot of I met tons of doctors and I would work with them all the time and um, I started to see kind of firsthand what their work is like Mm. Um, and I became really good friends with them and um, and so then I started there was kind of this started as just a little seed or a thought about thinking about going back to uni to do medicine and and I didn't think much of that thought initially but the thought definitely persisted over years and Mm. that desire grew and I prayed about it a lot and I think um you know I had a real peace and excitement about it and I think the other big thing that um inspired me to make the big move to go back to being a student and moving to Dunedin and yeah. starting yeah. starting that part of my life again was my mum's also a doctor and she gave up, when she left Iraq, she gave up medicine for over maybe 10, 15 years and then retrained when she was much older, when us kids were older. Yeah. And she had to, you know, pretty much, she didn't go back to, she did one year retraining but had to start from being a brand new junior doctor in the New Zealand hospitals and so I definitely had seen that for myself and that it is if she can go back and study and retrain at yeah. about 40 or however old she was then I could yeah. I was much younger so I could do it um, and that was definitely a huge inspiration and I think a great role model when you see it with your own eyes and so mm. yeah with time and prayer like I said, I had a lot of um, peace and excitement about making the move and I thought about it a lot and I thought about my reasons and my intentions and why I wanted to do it. And so, yeah, in the end, I took the plunge and 
applied to a few places and then went through and um, went through Otago. Well, how was it going back to uni after uh, getting out of uni and um, working and having that freedom with no more studying? Why? How? I mean, yeah, I mean, it must have been passion for you to have driven you to do that, like you were saying. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely really wanted to do it. And I actually loved uni. I had loads of fun. Yeah. And I felt like for a little while I went back to my um, 18-year-old self with, you know, like, I guess yeah. all I had to look after was myself and make sure I did a bit of study. And <laughs> we just, I think in Otago as well, there was definitely, yeah. you know, I was flanning for the first time and yeah. there's definitely a very different student culture and you all live nearby. Yeah. And so I really enjoyed the social part of it and the learning and then, we were just all crammed together at the end of the year <laughs> and live in the library for a few weeks. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I guess that kind of suffering for a little bit brought us closer together <laughs> and then you get through and do it again. <laughs> um, but I did. I really loved it and I loved you. You know, I loved things like getting um, long summer holidays at uni and yeah. – um, yeah, I definitely think, I think it was a real God thing and everything kind of worked out and I even managed, because I was originally worried that maybe money would be an issue because going from a full-time mm. salary to not earning any more, but, you know, it all worked out. I got great summer jobs and yeah. managed to get through and really awesome. enjoyed my time and learned a lot and... Through my studies, I travelled throughout the country as well. That's so cool. That's yeah. so cool. And I, I like how you said you prayed about it and you had peace. Um, and that's these are two key things, I suppose, in your own deter determination or in your discernment, you know? Like, you, yeah, you kind of, this is how you figure it out, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think um, with anything, I always, with any big decisions for me personally, I always pray and ask that I could have that peace and excitement about the decision. Mm, that's good. I find that they're good. That's good. I like that. That's a that's an aha moment there, peace, <laughs> excitement about it. If you're liking this as well, give us a thumbs up if you're enjoying this. If you're also if you're loving this video and loving this channel and loving Rita, <laughs> please subscribe uh, so you can um, you know be updated and make sure that the alarm thing is activated so that you can, yeah. I'm, I'm not great with asking people to, to, to do these things. I'm trying to, but um, <laughs> what, I, what I'm, I, I am going to ask you, Rita, is, you know, now that you've, you've gone through high school, you've gone through university, you've gone through university part two. <laughs> now, I like it so much. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you reckon now this is a different phase of your life? Um, um, You've been married for a few years, so you what sort of from your point of view, what makes a relationship work in your life, both platonic and the romantic? Um, well, I guess marrying a ginger Irishman is the way to go. Actually, he told me to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kidding. I think a big thing 
for us and out in terms of romantic or marriage relationship, mm. I'd say is God and depending on him and his love helps me love my husband Gav and vice versa. And I guess we believe that, you know, when we pray together and work together that and we focus on God, then as a result, we will also grow closer together and that we can, you know, when you do have disagreements and hard times, then when you've got that shared faith and focus, then you can work it out. And I guess um, things that are, there's a lot of things that would apply for both platonic and romantic relationships. I think things like spending time together is really important and creating Mm. memories. I think um, for me personally, there's not much that replaces, Mm. yeah, that replaces that. I think it's really important and really cherished and that's how you build healthy, strong friendships. Um, And I kind of mentioned it even, say, whether it was through like, studying together I think sharing in each other's joy and suffering whether it's with friends or in a marriage also brings you closer together so as I said at uni it would be things like when we were struggling through exams and studying and scared or um or through life in a marriage relationship you'll always have ups and downs but sharing in the joys and the suffering definitely um makes you stronger and builds your bond, I believe. And then I guess the other thing is, which is sometimes easier said than done, but letting things go. Uh, How are you going to let that go, though? I mean, uh, if he's going to put the toilet seat down or up like if what what's going to happen there <laughs> <laughs> luckily he puts it down <laughs> <laughs> good um uh, i guess you have to think if if you could try and pause for a second and think you know is it worth it and how big it you know like is it really that big a deal for me to put the toilet seat down or, or you know this is, we're talking about the rest of your life yeah rita so <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I I guess thinking about whether it is, you know, that how important is it to you? How big a deal is it? And if it is, then I think it's important to bring it up. But if it's a lot of the time, if you pause and think, you know, it's not really a big deal and it's not worth bringing it up. Okay, well, we've established now that um, (laughs) um, it's important to marry a ginger Irishman. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm just joking um, number one rule <laughs> yeah god is key in your in your relationship uh and creating memories together is important letting things go is important and sharing in the joy and the suffering have you been able to achieve some of these things um now that you've been married a few years um yeah definitely definitely i think um mm. yeah life will always throw things at you and in terms of the spending time together and creating memories I think um it's always I think it's quite important to be intentional and try and plan things or holidays or nights out or something um because it's quite easy to just get into the usual routine and of life and the your basic needs yeah but um, I think it's important to book in those yeah times and be intentional about creating memories because otherwise chances are they won't 
and they don't just happen on their own or, you know. That's some real wisdom there, um, Rita. Just to finish off our conversation, um, three favourite places that you love to go in New Zealand for a vacation? Um, oh, well, I guess I love New Things Zealand. to do up to you. Things or places, whatever. Um, I... I love, I think New Zealand is so beautiful and has so much to offer. Mm. So I love places like Queenstown and the South Island, which I think everyone does. But also um, I quite like doing some hikes or tramping. And so I think my favourite hikes that I've done are the Queen Charlotte Track and the Abel Tasman Track, which are at the top of the South Island. I'd highly recommend. They're beautiful, beautiful hidden parts of New Zealand with beautiful beaches and scenery and walks. Um, everywhere in New Zealand is pretty amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rita Kitula, Dr. Rita Kitula, for coming on the show and chatting to me. And um, if you like this episode and you made it to the end, well done. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Today's episode is... Uh, a little bit longer and um, it's so worth it to have you on the show and to listen to your inspirational stories and your wisdom and and so yeah if you liked if you're watching and you listening um, watching on YouTube listening on Spotify if you like the stuff please like uh, on YouTube and subscribe because this really helps the um, channel be known and the algorithm of YouTube shows my stuff to other people and of course, I'd like to grow. I'm wanting to reach a thousand subscribers. Uh, currently, I'm sitting on 194, so I've got a, <laughs> a bit of a <laughs> bit we'll of help a, you get there. Bit of a mountain to climb. Yeah, maybe I should come hiking with you one day. <laughs> Hike up the <laughs> yeah. uh, the YouTube ladder. So, um, yeah, I am so keen. Thank you for listening, for watching, for supporting Rita Katula. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. You're a gem. And all the best yeah, to you. Thanks, Mia. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Until next week, hi, Rita. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, would you please share it with a friend? If you enjoyed it so much, would you please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts? Because that would really help get the message out. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Until next week, hairira.